I tell writers don't worry too much about doing it right the first draft. The first draft is all about like it's like a idea vomit. You know, you're just sort of like getting every idea out onto the page in some form and sometimes that's a, they're just bullet points and sometimes that's just a quick dialogue. Sometimes it's like a fully fleshed out scene, but the whole idea of the first draft is really just to get the idea from your brain to the page and it's going to be really really bad. The late author and journalist Christopher Hitchens is quoted as once saying, "Everyone has a book in them, and that in most cases is where it should stay." What Mr. Hitchens may have meant was that although we might all have stories to tell, very few people have the skills to turn them into stories that are worth reading. As a journalist for many years and also an aspiring novel and screenplay writer, I've learned that having a good story idea is actually only the first stage in the battle to produce a great piece of written work, whether that's fiction or non-fiction. Indeed, having great content to share is pretty much useless unless you also know how to craft it. And that's something that my guest today, Jessica Brody, knows everything about. Jessica teaches people how to write better, and like myself, she has several online writing courses on Udemy and elsewhere that help people turn their nascent story ideas into the stuff of blockbuster novels. She's also in fact a prolific author who's published many books in the teen fiction genre as well as some non-fiction guides to to writing. Needless to say, it's a great honor for me to invite Jessica into the Elite Writers Lounge today to share her writing secrets with us. Welcome Jessica to the Alchemy of Writing podcast. Thank you, Shani. I'm 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 honored to be in the Elite room that we're we're in right now. It's very elite looking, actually. Thank you. Now, Jessica, do you believe, as some people do, that you were born to be a writer? Whoa, that's a good one to start out with. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I believe that I was born to be a writer. I've always loved to write. I think everyone's born with different passions in them and different curiosities in them. And it's really about which one you're going to pursue at which time in your life. You know, you may love writing, but not have the time or the energy to write a book, you know, in your 20s. And you might Mm. have that time and energy in your 40s. Um, And I think, you know, by saying, by by saying like, I have this one passion, you're sort of also limiting yourself to other things that you might be able to pursue. Um, I didn't actually become a professional writer until my uh, late 20s. And before that, I was a financial analyst. So, um, yeah, so I maybe I was born to be a financial analyst turned turned writer. I don't know. <laughs> yes. So it's it's just one of the things that you do. But when did you know that writing was going to be a big part of your career? Um, it was I was writing as I was as I was be, when I was a financial analyst, I was writing on the side. And it was sort of I just thought it was a hobby. I never really thought of writing as a career. Um, I think when you're a kid, you you sort of are like, oh, these books are being written by someone, but you don't really understand that as like, this is a career path. And I think in my mind, it was always like, you have to find a career path that, you know, comes with dental insurance and a 401k. And like, that's the serious career path. And so that's what I did. Um, and I was always writing on the side as like, oh, this is a fun hobby. And then um, I actually got laid off from my financial analyst job. And that's when there was sort of a voice in my head going, maybe you should write a book. (laughs) Um, And uh, once I got, once I sort of caught that bug, uh, it was hard to get rid of. And I've been writing pretty much ever since. Excellent. Um, Do you remember the first story that you ever wrote, say, as a child? 
I, yeah, I actually still have it. It's, uh, it's called The Puppy and the Kitty, and uh, I self-published it, in, that's in quotes, self-published, um, with, uh, I took like cardboard and wrapped it in wallpaper and secured everything with like electrical tape, and then I printed out the story, or I think my parents like might have typed it on an old typewriter, and, um, and I drew pictures, and it was this really riveting story of a puppy and a kitty who run away from home, and the spoiler is that they get the chicken pox. So that was my, <laughs> How old my twist ending. I was about six or seven. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it does seem that people who end up becoming writers have that kind of an experience where they sort of lovingly produce this thing. And, and, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember putting it on my shelf, like next to the quote, real books and being like, <laughs> yeah. look, I wrote a book. So maybe you were born to be a writer. <laughs> maybe. Um, I mentioned at the beginning, there's this cliche that everyone has a book in them. Do you think everyone does have a book in them? That's a tough question. I think I think probably yes, and that I say that in that I think anyone can write a book. Um, as you know, it's not easy to write a book, but I I I try to steer people away from this idea that writing a book is for like this elite few people who have this specific skill or went to school in you know and got a master's in creative writing or something like that. I feel like there's a lot of limitations that people put on writers like are on on the idea of writing is like, oh, well, to do that, I'm going to have to do this and I'm going to have to, and I, and I don't have those skills or I don't have that knowledge. And I think I'd like to say that everyone has a book in them, meaning if anyone could write a book, if they were determined enough to do it and were willing to put in the effort and the, you know, build the perseverance and build the proper writing routines and, you know, study the plot structure and all the things that you need to do. But I think anyone can do that. I mean, am I right in saying that you like write a lot of teen fiction, well, mainly write teen fiction? Is that the genre? Uh, yeah, I write a lot of teen fiction. And then I also write um, what's called middle grade fiction, which is for like eight to 12 year old kids. Uh, that's my other my other genre that I love. Mm. And where do you usually get your first spark of inspiration to write a new novel? Gosh, it comes from anywhere. Um, I always I always say that writers... Uh, writers go through life with uh, with a filter on their lens, like they're, they're looking through a filter and I sort of liken it to Instagram, how we can put these filters on pictures and it makes them look different. Well, writers go through life with like a fiction filter on and they see things that other people are seeing, but we see it like exaggerated or we see it with like a, a twist on it, like a what if twist. So the best example I can give is is I was watching a, a meter maid write a parking ticket for someone who is you know was parked for too long in the same spot, and I just had this idea of like I want to be a meter maid, but just for like a week, not for I just want to experience it for like a really short amount of time, and and then I started thinking about what else would I want to do for just a week, and I came up with this like list of jobs, and then I thought wouldn't it be funny if someone had to do a different job every week of the year. Um, and I came up with this book that later was published called 52 Reasons to Hate My Father. And it's about this spoiled teen heiress who has to, who's never worked a day in her life. And in order to earn her trust fund, she has to take on a different low wage job every week of the year. Um, and it's just like, again, I just got that from just sitting watching a parking meter or watching a meter made and I just twisted it. So I think fiction, the fiction filter is something that you, you just see the world through and you go, what if it was different? That's an excellent way of putting it. And and I can certainly relate to that myself. You go through life with a sort of, yeah, these, these, these lenses, which, uh, which turn everything into a, into a story, yeah. um, which maybe it comes down to being sort of dramatic people. 
Um, so looking <laughs> for the drama in every in the smallest things. Yeah. Um, what among your novels? Um, do you have a favorite? Uh, yeah, it's always the one I haven't written yet. <laughs> ah, um, and what's that right I, now? I, I, I make that joke because um, <laughs> you know when writers, we all know that like when you're when you start a book, it's really exciting and you're just full of inspiration. You're raring to go and every, everything's going to be really easy. And then as soon as you are sort of 10 to 20% of the way in it, it starts to be hard and it gets harder and harder. And the more you, you know, you slog through it, it, it never, you sort of, you never get that spark back that you had at the beginning. And that's sort of what I think distinguishes a an amateur writer from a, from a professional writer is that the professional writers, they write anyway, without this, without inspiration. And so, you know, but it's just funny because you're always going to have another idea that seems like the better idea, especially when you're in the middle of something really hard. Um, so I, I make the joke that my next, the next book is my favorite book, but um, honestly, I've written a lot of, I've, I've written over 20 novels and they all challenge me in different ways. I think the ones that are the most memorable are the ones that were the hardest to write. So because they were probably pushing my limits as a creator, like they were pushing me to do things I hadn't done before. Um, I wrote a time travel trilogy that was so hard. And I always said, I will never write time travel again because it's so complicated. But it was, you know, it pushed me. I Like I had to figure out logical problems in storytelling that I'd never had to do before. Um and, and so, like things, I think it's always the books that really like challenge me and push. What, me what was the basic plot there in that time travel? Thing? Um, who, well, who the, the, the time travel is sort of a spoiler, but it's about this girl who who survives. A, it's called the Unremembered Trilogy. It's about this girl who survives a plane crash, and she's the only survivor, except she wasn't on the passenger manifest. No one saw her boarding the plane, and it's this big mystery of who this girl is, and she's not in any – her DNA and fingerprints are not in any but any database in the world, and 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 no one shows up to claim her. And so it's – she's a 16-year-old girl, and um, so you learn uh, probably at the end of the first book. So I just spoiled my whole book. Um, no, don't. <laughs> you learn at the end of the first book that she actually time-traveled there. But um, and then the second, third book sort of go further into the time travel world. That but. sounds fascinating. Um, the challenging, as you said. Yeah. Um, do, do were you influenced in particular by any other type of novelist, either in that genre or or elsewhere? Who, which ones had the biggest impact on you? As like, oh, this is wonderful writing. Um, well, I mean, I'm influenced by a lot of different books. I think this, the Hunger Games trilogy, definitely inspired me to want to write sci-fi. I uh, before I wrote the Unremembered trilogy, I was writing mostly like realistic contemporary fiction set in our world, you know, where everybody lives by the rules that we all live by. Um, and they were just, they were sort of, sometimes they were rom romantic comedies, sometimes they were dr dramedies, um, but they were always set in our world. And I think when I read The Hunger Games, it was, I'd never really been a sci-fi fan, but that was an accessible sci-fi that I was like, I, I could tell a story like that, you know, maybe not as well as that, but I could tell that kind of story and really enjoy myself. Um, and that mm. sort of opened my eyes into sci-fi. And then I later wrote, you know, I've written some other sci-fi that's that's more um, other world sci-fi, like we call mm. fantasy world. Do you, do you find that there's a constant theme running through your stories? Like when I try to write um, stories, and I do, uh, I find that they're all kind of about people who are going up against you know, social expectations and breaking the rules and trying to live a life which is which is uh, you know independent of that. 
is there a, a theme that runs through your work, something you can identify saying, yeah, this is something obviously I'm really interested in exploring? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, I would say there's a theme that always runs through my sci-fi stories. And then there's a theme that always runs through my contemporary stories. And the contemporary ones, there's, there's always a level of letting go of control and letting and trusting in the universe or trusting that things work out for a reason or trusting that you don't have to be in control of every piece. And I have no idea where my characters get that problem. <laughs> wow. But I have a, I have, you know, I have an inkling it comes from me, but, um, but then in my sci-fi worlds are, it's, it's always like someone going up against some evil institution, like whether it's an evil corporation or an evil government. So there's a, there's a level of like, like you were saying, kind of fighting back against social expectations um, mm. in, in that as well. But that's more of a sci-fi theme for me. Um, mm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and just to get a bit more philosophical yeah. here, um, I'm always fascinated, fascinated by the fact that here we are reading stories about fictional characters. They don't really exist. The situation doesn't really exist. And people can yet be so moved, so inspired, so affected by characters that they that they know don't really exist in real life. <laughs> yeah. What do you think is going on there? Why do why what why can we be so affected by these kind of things? Well, you know, when I teach writers how to write an effective plot, I always say it always comes down to the character and and how they and how they're affected by the story. So you know, you put a character into a story, there has to be a reason you're putting this character into this story. They have to be changed or transformed by these plot elements specifically. And if they aren't, then they're the wrong character for the story, or this is the wrong story for them. And I think we turn to fiction as humans because we like to read about people overcoming odds, people um, bettering themselves, improving their lives. Because I, I think there's always a, there's always a strive in all of us to overcome flaws, overcome fears, um, you know, fix those pes those pesky little problems that are holding us back. And, and we're always kind of striving for something better. And that's kind of like the pioneering spirit. And I think that, you know, the characters in stories that do that very thing, and they and they improve upon themselves in some way, or that they, that they push the boundaries of their own limitations, I think that's inspiring. So I think in the end, we're just inspired by characters. And we read about characters and think, wow, if they could overcome those odds, then I can overcome odds against me. Mm. So, so yeah, it's almost like I, I've once heard someone say is that, that, that fiction can be more real than life mm -hmm. because, yeah, because, because, and often you're playing with ideas and situations and, and, and it's the ideas that, that underlie your story that are moving people. Mm -hmm. So even though they know they're not real, they are still affected by what you're putting in front of them in terms of ideas and emotions. Yeah. And, and you, you know, no matter how fantastical or speculative your, your story is, you know, if you're, even if you're just in a whole other world, like a George R. R. Martin novel, or, or you're in like a sci-fi, you know, setting 10,000 years in the future, you, the, the thing that grounds it is always that people are, haven't changed that much. You know, they're still kind of dealing with the same problems and the same expectations and the same uh, goals and things like that. And I think that's what really grounds uh, the, those kinds of stories or any story so that the reader can relate to it and go, oh, even though that's 10,000 years from now, I could see myself there and I could see mm. myself battling that same thing. Yeah. And that skill of transporting them to that different world is just what 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 is so uh, remarkable to people who 
who have never who, who find that they can't do that. You mentioned you you teach um, people yeah. as well. Uh, when people are trying to write fiction, what do you find other the biggest mistakes or misconceptions that they have when they set about writing a novel? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say one of the things that I see that stories lack in their in their early conceptions that people sort of neglect this one key thing, and, I, and it sounds really simple, but it's so important, is they they forget to give their character a concrete goal. And main characters are only interesting to read about when they're when they're pursuing something. And and I tell people to always think about what are they pursuing externally? Like, because the reader needs to be able to understand it and they need to be able to track it and they need to know when the hero or the character has gotten it or not gotten it. And so a lot of, you know, characters, they you start a book and they just feel sort of wishy-washy, like they're not sure where to go, they're not sure what to do next. Um, and then the moment you give your character a goal to pursue, like, oh, my character, you know, wants to ask out the girl or, or, or they want to, you know, win the championship game or they want to buy a house or they want to, you know, save an independent bookstore from being closed or whatever it is, you immediately give the story uh, urgency and you give the story a direction and you give it sort of fuel. And I think readers latch onto that really quickly. And I think that's one of the, I don't know if it's like the biggest mistake readers make, but it's probably the one thing I would say I find in a lot of stories that are is lacking from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in one of your courses on, on, on Udemy and I guess on your own website, mm-hmm. um, one of the ideas you bring up, which totally fascinated me, was the idea that um, many novelists or aspiring novelists uh, fail to get published, uh, their work published, because the ideas that they're pitching are not what you call high concept mm. enough. What does that term mean? Um, yeah, I teach, I teach how to come up with high concept ideas. High concept is, is sort of this nebulous term that's, it, it can be hard to understand. The way I define it is it's, a, it's an idea that can be pitched in one sentence and the listener of that idea can immediately understand why that story is cool. And I use the word cool sort of like, you know, it, it's a funny word, but it's, Every time you hear an idea that strikes you, it's because there's something about it that sounds kind of cool. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. I want to read that. Even if it's even if it's something sort of that sounds horrific, like, you know, I'll go back to the Hunger Games, but it's such a high concept idea. It's 24 teens have to fight to the death in an arena. Like, that's cool. Even though it's mm-hmm. morbid and horrible, it's still something you're like interested in. And so I break down this high concept idea about like what makes an idea cool and what sort of latch causes a reader to hook onto it or a listener to hook onto it is um i break it down into these four different ingredients Mm. so it has some level of drama to it i guess conflict Um, yeah yeah conflict uh but uh, but is that to say like could could there be an idea which is which is more mundane you know a guy um you know trying to get over a breakup for example or something like that but could that also be turned into a high concept idea? It can if you add some, if you add sort of a level of uh, conflict or irony or um, uh, what I call like a hook. So I would say something like, oh, a guy who's trying to get over a breakup and decides he's going to, you know, um, by he's going to get over a breakup by calling all of his ex-girlfriends and going out with them all one more time to see if it works out. You know, like something <laughs> kind of like that, that immediately kind of you get the sense of what's going to be fun about it or what's going to be dramatic about it or what's going to be... one of my ideas. Oh. 
<laughs> Great minds think alike. Um, <laughs> I get what you're saying. That that so so yeah, you have to bring some further elements in it that kind of raise it to a higher level. Yeah, I call the one of the ingredients I talk about in the course is called a fish out of water element, and that's where you take a character out of their comfort zone and you you immediately put them in somewhere where they kind of flounder around, even if it's mm. if it's in a fun way, like even Harry Potter super fun story you know the the first book you have harry is from the you know the muggle world and he gets put in the wizarding world and he is a fish out of water and it creates instant conflict and in intrigue because he doesn't know what he's doing and it doesn't always have to be someone who doesn't know what they're doing but it's it's this idea that you are putting someone somewhere where they don't necessarily belong and that instantly creates intrigue got it Got it. And I want to talk about a bit about your process. Um, and I want to start with the psychology of, of, of writing a novel. When, when, when you've got your idea and you kind of thought, I've got some idea that inspires me, I want to write this story. Is there any kind of psychological preparation that you have to do before you begin writing it? For myself, you mean? Mm. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. I basically have to convince myself that I have every detail figured out. Um, even though I know it's not true. And I always say that writing a novel is a discovery process, regardless of how much planning you do ahead of time, regardless of how much outlining you do. Every step of the way, you're going to discover something you didn't think of. And so I like to kind of joke with myself like, okay, this time I have it all figured out. I have a plot outline. I know everything about this character. I know exactly what this story is going to be. And it's this little game I play with myself because it it psychs me into like going, okay, I'm ready to write, even though I know after 20 novels that I don't have it all figured out. And there's going to be so much more that comes at me that I'm going to have to deal with. But it's sort of the way, the place I have to get to me personally, I have to get to mentally so that I can convince myself to start writing. Mm. And where do you go to access that creativity? Because I found as a, as a journalist, for example, you know, there's kind of two sides to the writing process. And one is the more sort of letting yourself go dreamlike um, inspiration and the other side is more the kind of yeah making sure the structure's good and and then the the left brain approach to it when when you're writing a story and you're going to that that right brain side of things as they say uh where, where are you going to access that where are you finding the the, the storyline the you know what happens next yeah I well I tr I tell writers I can, I'll tell you what I tell writers and then I'll tell you what I do, which is sort of a middle ground. But I tell writers, don't worry too much about doing it right, the first draft. The first draft is all about, like, it's like a idea vomit. You know, you're just sort of like getting every idea out onto the page in some form. And sometimes that's a, they're just bullet points. And sometimes that's just a quick dialogue. Sometimes it's like a fully fleshed out scene. But the whole idea of the first draft is really just to get the idea from your brain to the page and it's gonna be really really bad I mean it's just gonna be a, just a mess and that's the whole point is because you have to kind of put the clay you have to build the clay so then you can mold the clay um you know so I I sort of do that but then at the same time I also I've written enough novels to know when I'm going off track um, and I can kind of veer myself back, but I try really hard not to edit as I go and revise as I go. I try not to think about, okay, this is not working or this, I've got to go back and fix this so that this can work. I try to just mm. get all my ideas down before um, 
and, and get to the finish line. And then I go back and in my revision is when I sort of go, okay, this isn't working or this needs to be sped up or this needs to be slowed down. Mm. And to any extent, are you kind of just following your curiosity? So you've created this situation and, and you've got to know what happens next and how this story moves forward. Are you, are you following kind of like, well, this is what I'm curious about. This is what I think would be fascinating if it happens or is there any, I mean, yeah, where, where, where do you sit in that process? I, it's this sort of blend between, between what I have planned and where the story goes on its own. And Mm. I don't think it's a conscious for me anyway, I don't think it's a conscious like where I sit down and go, Oh, I'm curious where, what happens next. It, I think for me, it's always like, Oh, here's what I planned. So I'm going to start there. And then suddenly just, it just takes on a life of its own. It just happened to me this morning. Actually, I'm writing a new uh, middle grade book and I knew exactly, I I knew where I wanted the scene to start and suddenly just, it went on to its own way. And I was like, that's cool. I'll keep going because this is cool. And I, I feel it like I, I recognize the sensation now of when I tap into something that I wasn't expecting, but that is the right direction um, mm. versus there's a feeling like that. And then there's the feeling of, okay, I'm, I'm wandering off course and I really don't know if this is working. And, you know, so this is, it's a very distinct feeling. Thank you for listening to part one of this interview. We look forward to seeing you in part two, where Jessica will discuss among other things, how to create setups and payoffs in stories, why structure is so important in storytelling, and her favorite productivity hacks for writers. I'm Shani Raja, and you've been listening to the Alchemy of Writing podcast. I have several online courses that teach you how to write with the style and flair of the best journalists in the world. For more details about my courses, and to gain access to various free writing resources, please visit my website, shaniraja.com.